Welcome back to the PropTech Ramble. I'm Michael Grant. Hi everyone, I am Charlotte. Yes, I'm Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Plug away. PropTech for us as Metricus is, again, it's not just new, it is legacy as well. Yeah, I think I've got to say it's about the people, it's like making things easier for the people in the building and also people who run the building. And if it doesn't do that, then point <laughs> <laughs> and i think a lot of what prop tech does is try and make get those old buildings and turn it into something that's a bit new that's what it's all about really apart from me rambling on like i'm doing now so uh, <laughs> that's why it's called the prop tech ramble. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true that's very true <laughs> hello everyone welcome to the prop tech ramble i'm charlotte and i'm here with james from ms keith hi james nice to have you and do you want to give us everyone kind of a brief outline of yourself Sure. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, I will, yeah, I'll try and keep it uh, brief so we can (laughs) get into it. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm James. I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer at MSQ. We're a global digital marketing uh, group of agencies, a group of 10 uh, agencies globally, about a thousand people. Um, And so, yeah, I spend my time uh, working on our carbon footprint modeling and our carbon reduction strategies, et cetera, et cetera. but we'll, we'll kind of get into my journey towards that. But uh, that certainly wasn't my, my, my background. My background is a, is a computer scientist. I'm the co-founder of, of, of one of the larger agencies within MSQ uh, called MMT Digital. Um, so my, my background is more sort of as a techie and as an entrepreneur. And I think like a lot of chief sustainability officers over the last five or 10 years, it is a bit the Wild West. And so I've sort of accidentally become an expert uh, in this area. Um, but yeah. Delighted to be here to uh, share some of my experiences, if they can be of some use. I'm, I'm sure they will be. Um, but obviously, yeah, we're here today to talk about sustainability. And it's hard to talk about sustainability these days without talking about COP26, which is right around the corner. Um, are you are you attending? I'm not intend- attending in person, uh, doing my bit for, for sort of carbon footprints by not going up there. It's got a bit uh, crazy in Glasgow. I'm also the co-chair of the BEMA Sustainability Council. BEMA is a kind of membership body for, for agent- digital agencies uh, in, in the UK. Um, so we're running workshops. Uh, we're running four simultaneous w- uh, workshops for COP26. Um, I'll be running our one in London. We've got one in Edinburgh and online. Uh, and it, they're not open forum, but we're just, we've got a group of experts experts um, together, which is really exciting to talk about how governments can best help businesses to help their employees and staff do more, uh, I think, or I hope that's something we can get into as well, because I think that's really, really crucial, actually, is that role that that business plays to mobilize people rather than just going direct to people. I think that's really, really important and felt like a good fit for COP26. So not going to be there, but like lots of people running workshops around the fringes and, and in other places. I think as well, like it's the coolest thing about COP26 is that it's been a bit of a catalyst for everyone to get these events going and everyone's doing a lot around it. And so I think you know, even if a lot of people can't be at the event itself, it's definitely generated a lot of discussion and pushed people along. Um, well, I think if you look at hotel prices in Glasgow during COP26 as well, that's probably putting quite a lot of people off actually going yeah. into Glasgow at the moment. Or, or <laughs> even like crazy, crazy, but Yeah, I've got a yeah. lot of friends in Glasgow that are like renting their flats out and stuff. And Very smart. Yeah, it's a money spinner. <laughs> um, cool. Well, let's get into the, the quick fire round. So you haven't seen these before. So, um, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> what was your first job? My, I've only ever had one job. I fell out of university and founded MMT Digital in my bedroom <laughs> with my buddy Ben, who I've known since I was six weeks old, who now sits on the board at uh, MSQ. So my CV is is very short. 
Wow, I'm excited to talk about that later. Um, <laughs> so when slash where are you most productive? Well, that I mean, that's a really good question. Um, the short answer to that is, and I, I think hopefully lots of people relate to this, I'm, I'm still very involved in the exec team at MMT and, and the senior teams at MSQ. And I think we all kind of agreed that I'm individually the most productive, like at home without distractions, like for, for concentrating both when I was a developer and a computer scientist, but to, you know, today there's a lot of work I have to do that's very complicated and heads down. Um, but the, the times that I've been back into the office, it's amazing how many kind of water cooler conversations I've had. And I've realized that innovation initially for my company, MMT, really did happen in the kitchens of our offices. I, every time I go down, I have three or four conversations that lead to someone going, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to go and talk to our account teams about that, X, Y, and Z. And I've kind of realized that I don't know how you measure that in terms of productivity, but that kind of yeah. that definitely on my own, right where I am here at home, um, but there's definitely something about innovation and productivity in a broad, in a bigger sense that, that must yeah. be compromised if we all just do that. You need a balance for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite place that you've worked in? <laughs> well, uh, the the incredible uh, MMT. I mean, I, honestly, you, it really is just um, one uh, company. So, it, you know, from from the from the bedroom startup days, um, mm -hmm. I, I absolutely like, and I'm hugely hugely proud of that story. So, it's really hard to sort of pick moments on that journey. Yeah. Um, I'm really really loving where I am now to kind of get to still be part of all of that. Um, but also, you know, if you can't get out of bed and love being a chief sustainability officer, and I think everybody who works in my sphere is immensely positive, and maybe that's something we'll touch on, immensely positive about what we can do going forward. Because if you're not, if you don't believe that we can fix this, then you wouldn't be doing it. You'd probably just be on a desert island like living out the rest of your days so if you can't love being a chief sustainability officer like there's not much hope yeah. for you so i'm really loving what i'm doing right now good yeah um and when you're not working how do you spend your time i have two uh teenage girls yeah. uh who are 13 and 15 and a lovely wife and between them my girls they take up most of my time um my wife is a personal trainer and obsessive uh, nutrition and fitness. Uh, and so uh, I'm very grateful to her because she kind of drags me. We spend a lot of time doing yoga and uh, working out, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so just, you know, the family keeps me out of trouble. Nice. And do you think smart buildings are a step in the right direction towards working uh, towards net zero? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, I think one of the things I'm optimistic, I'm a techie, right? And as I mentioned, I'm a computer scientist. So one of the things I'm hugely excited about is like, okay, some of the latest, you know, reports on climate change are still fairly doom and gloom. But if you look at technology's role in, in solving this, wh whether it's smart buildings, green nuclear energy, um, some of the more clever carbon uh, capture techniques like direct air capture technologies that, that you know have been acknowledged but quite rightly you know not included in projections um, because we don't know when and how they're going to scale but what, when you take all of these things that are going on 
um, and the money behind some of these initiatives at the moment, the investment in green initiatives. Um, I think it, it, you know it's hugely exciting. And yeah, you've only got to look at like the massive amount of you know energy consumed, but you know across all our buildings. So to have you know smart buildings that can yeah. use that in a more sophisticated way to have. I don't know everything air conditioning systems that that shut down when grid emission factors go too high because we're not producing enough renewables mm -hmm. to the grid like there's so many like cool things that we can do yeah. um so yeah absolutely smart right. buildings <laughs> and uh knowing what you know now what advice would you give to your younger self um so that's a you know I've been asked that one a few times and, and in different ways it, it is for me it's always the imposter syndrome type answer yeah. when you know I think you know and and, and social media is bad for this and actually in the corporate world LinkedIn can be just as bad like yeah. we all love that but it can be lots of people posting articles about look at me look at how brilliant and clever I am and whatever sphere you're working in like the more you learn the more you realize you don't learn and like none of us have got all the answers and I think definitely I spent many years feeling a bit insecure and a bit like crap and not and not good enough and um sitting in meetings and people using lots of fancy terms that I didn't understand and you get to a point where you become a bit of a grumpy old man and you're just prepared to sort of go like, I don't I haven't got a clue what you just meant sorry can you just explain that and 500 <laughs> people are secretly going oh god yeah I don't know thank god you asked that <laughs> so it's, it's always that it's definitely always the imposter syndrome style answer just please that's my would be my message to any young people in the workforce please don't feel insecure about it and I, and I didn't we didn't have like LinkedIn and social media to make us feel even worse you know about you know yeah. how not so good we were at our jobs so yes that's that's that would be my answer to and that. i think that leads nicely as well into the next question because um just to think a lot a little bit more about the kind of longer questions and where your interest in sustainability actually started because i imagine now being in sustainability is quite because it's quite new um as a job role it's quite difficult to kind of find your feet and know what you should be doing so like where did that where did that original interest begin um I, I think i mean i think like lots of people like i said I'm not, I'm not you know i'm not a you know it's not my academic background you know mm -hmm. i didn't yeah. study environmental sciences 20 years ago at uni or anything like that but like like a lot of people you know so i'm you know mid 40s had my kids when i was late 20s so you know that that that's a point in your life where you're kind of thinking about longer term future of things and i think i'd always been interested in it um you know certainly going back to you know whenever Al Gore's kind of inconvenient truth stuff came out like pre-2008 because it was pre sort of the global crisis, being really into sort of that and being really kind of shocked by some of that but then I think like the rest of the world you know the the financial crash happened in 2008 and we kind of almost had this lost decade we sort of almost people talk about that in terms of it just sort of went off the radar and to some extent that was an initial concern with covid hitting was like oh no are we going to is this going to be so bad that we're going to lose another 10 years because we're going to have to focus on economic recovery and, and this isn't going to be important so it was definitely there um but really honestly it wasn't until quite recently that i properly got into it sort of 2017 18 coming up to the 20th anniversary of my business and i was chatting to my buddy ben who i'd mentioned and we were kind of going like it's got to be more to life than like how much bigger can we get this company in terms of like money there's got to be more yeah. to life than this i said i'll go and measure our carbon footprint like we started to see companies like, announcing a path to carbon mm -hmm. neutrality which is a term i didn't really understand 
So I said, I'll go measure our carbon footprint. I'll work out how we become carbon neutral. And I thought, honestly, thought I was going to Google it one afternoon and put some numbers into a calculator. And, and I think lots of people perhaps expect that. And, and that was the start of my journey when I realized the terminology is so misunderstood. You have to understand about scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. Those terms didn't mean anything to me. Carbon neutral, carbon negative, climate positive, net net zero. And we can get into this one a bit, but most people really don't know the difference between carbon neutrality and net zero. And I suspect that's possibly true of Boris Johnson, if I put the question to him, <laughs> um, which is scary because we're all talking about how important it is to get to net zero, but we can't actually define it. And then yeah. the, the calculators and the tools are really complicated. And, and I didn't, you know, so I ended up having to build my own modeling tools that they're, yeah. they're, they're still a bit of a mess, to be honest. There is a landscape of, of tools and um, out there. And I pieced a load of things together to build a calculator that worked for me. And, and uh, yeah, I just kind of persevered um, and went on a journey and worked with it. And then I had to figure out how to offset. I didn't know what offsetting was. I didn't know if that was just tree planting. Is that just greenwashing? Where do you do it? How do you do it? What's verified offsetting? You have to learn about VCS and gold standard and, and all this sort of stuff. And I realized quite quickly that most SMEs were just really under-supported. You know, you, you, I came across, you know, 400-page PDFs from the greenhouse gas protocol on the 15 categories of scope three emissions. And nobody's going to read that unless you're, a, like, advanced consultant um, yeah. working in this area. Um, and so, yeah, I just went on a journey and figured this stuff out and eventually, you know, did measure our footprint, worked out as a professional service company that, like most service businesses, we have a, a very low carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. relatively low it was six or seven hundred tons which is a number that meant nothing to me at the time and we were a business of about a hundred people at that point and 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 offsetting which isn't the answer um you know, can be quite cheap we might sort of touch mm -hmm. on that in a bit but eventually worked all this stuff out and and then essentially that was the idea to pitch to beamer to become the the co-chair of the sustainability council and say look this is a nightmare i could run workshops yeah. for beamer members and help them do this and i've got all these calculators and i open source them and put them up on a website um and i did that for a few years and then earlier this year um i i basically like wrote it all down made it much more modular and turned yeah. it into a free six-week course uh that i launched on the future learn platform about six weeks ago just simply called how to measure reduce and offset your company's carbon footprint and it's just been kind of received with with open arms because you know wherever we are now four years down the road on my journey like the terminology still isn't understood people don't know how to measure their footprint they don't know what offsetting is or how to do it or where to do it or if it's a good thing and therefore they don't put in good reduction strategies because they haven't measured the thing they're trying to reduce yeah. um and yeah so yeah sorry i don't know i think that was the answer to the question yeah. well, that was where my journey started not that long ago but yeah. i was in a privileged place where i could you know and then msq have been incredible and just latched onto it and went you know that's amazing yeah. we really want to do that that's the future businesses need to behave like that there's huge benefits to behaving like this you know and kind of gave me the scope to to be able to kind of evangelize and, and do things like this and, and run the course as well as the work that i do internally yeah i've got to uh thank you on behalf of us as well for future learn because it honestly has changed our entire um kind of strategy in terms of net zero i think we signed up about three months ago and we're at a bit of a loss we did the the, the thing that you said earlier where it was like you sign up and you think that you can 
put some numbers in and actually it's not like that um and then we came across future loan and it's been so much so much easier um since no, then. that's great and i'm delighted and you're, but your story is very similar and the, and the analogy i give is is that you know if, if you went to a ceo of a business and said i've got a really great idea to halve your cost base and he would go that's brilliant like let me you've got a plan yeah i've got a plan and a strategy and a team ready to go mm-hmm. if he said what is our cost base and your answer was, I have no idea. How, how do you measure your cost base? Right? He'd laugh you out of the room. But kind of that's what companies are doing because it's difficult, but they want yeah. to get started. Most companies that I coached have often had or have sustainability policies. They have reduction policies. And, mm-hmm. and when you get into it, they're just very focused on scope two. It's like, oh, we make sure we turn the lights off. We make sure our laptops go to sleep. We have room sensors. Like none of those things are bad. But mm-hmm. you're probably, you know, your scope to emissions for a lot of companies are four, five, six percent, and you're maybe going to save a third of that. You know, great. You're kind of chucking bits of deck chairs off the Titanic, and and so you need yeah. to go measure your scope three to some degree of accuracy. I'm conscious about that. Maybe some people listening to this might not know what each scope is. So could you give us like a, a brief rundown of um, what each scope is and how difficult it is to measure? Yeah, I, I, I can. I'll give you. A, yeah, we'll give you a brief one. I'll keep it brief for scope three. Yeah. But it, it, you know, it's, scope one are what's called your direct emissions, and there's a lot of double accounting. Um, so scope one are direct emissions. So um, the the major one for for most sort of companies would be, or just like especially if you're a professional service company, would be gas. If you have gas supply to your office, because the the the, fos- the gas is being piped into your building you're combusting it in a boiler and the emissions are coming directly out of your building so gas the other one is company-owned cars because you're burning the fuel in the car that the company owns and admitting it out and then the other big one is if you're a manufacturing company your actual emissions from a from from a factory so direct emissions Scope two is really easy. So scope two and three are indirect. Scope two is your indirect emissions from the purchase of electricity. So it, scope two is your electricity emissions. And if, if you think about it, it's different to gas. You're, you're buying electricity from an energy company. It's being supplied to you. They're burning the fossil fuel, not you. Um, and, uh, and so it's an indirect emission. And this is where the double accounting starts to come in because your scope two emissions will be an energy company's scope one emissions, et cetera. Et cetera. And then yeah. scope three emissions are everything else. Officially there's 15 categories and I will not step through all of those, um, but it's things like, it's the big one. And it's usually 90% of most companies emissions. It's, it's your staff commuting in and out of work. It's business travel between and around offices to meetings. It's things like home worker emissions. Like that's a, a new one. And important post-COVID and the big one is your supply chain the purchase of goods and services that'll be a massive one and again it's it's goods and services people tend to focus on oh we should buy renewable paper and ink cartridges that are recyclable and things like that yes you could do that but it's also it's professional goods and services so you know HR legal finance all the money that you spend on you know all of those sorts of things um it's it's that kind of it's the supply chain uh, emissions so they all overlap but it's really critical that we measure and focus on reducing all three, because if you don't, it's, not, it's just not gonna happen. Because if you just do scope one, it puts way, way, way too much emphasis on a very small number of companies. And the only way they're going to be able to act, to be fair on them, is if, if we all act across all three scopes, because it will drive investment um, into those areas. So a really obvious example of that is like, 
you know, scope two, your electricity. Well, we could sit around and do nothing and hope that the energy companies all start investing in renewable energy. And then, then it will just work out for us, right? And it will be zero. Or we could actively switch to a renewable energy company to put money in their pockets so that we're all as businesses putting money into the right places so investment gets put there. You know, money will make this stuff happen. And the yeah. same is true of scope three. It puts money into the investment into the right parts of the supply chain. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and there's been a shift, I guess, as well in terms of legislation coming out recently um, to kind of, I guess, push businesses along to do more for targeting net zero um, or reporting on on sustainability. And one of those is SECR. And we were kind of briefly chatting about this before before the before the session. But it'd be good to hear your thoughts on that kind of new legislation that's coming in and, and whether you think it actually works. Um, I, I think it will work to some degree. I'm, I'm sure we need some legislation. I, d I don't think it's going to be the, the solution. And I'll, I will come back to that. So things like, you know, SECR, and it's not really my area particularly, because that's more about um, legislation for financial reporting for, you know, larger companies, kind of large SMEs and, and above, um, to, you know, how they need to report um, on their uh scope one and two emissions and mo most of the kind of legislation that we've had in the past and the stuff that's sort of being tightened up on is around scope one and scope two that's not a bad thing and, and it, it's certainly easier to focus on that you can imagine from my definition of those things that is much easier to kind of measure and audit those things mm -hmm. certainly in terms of like gas and electricity we can measure how many kilowatt hours you use we call we can count we can see how many company vehicles you've got audit how many miles you've driven you know, look at your gas bills, look at your energy bills, and, and then you report on that. And, and that's easy. And we can look at how many kilowatt hours of electricity you generate. And then that's easy to convert into emissions. Every country has a thing called a grid emissions factor, which is just the grams of CO2 that get emitted for each kilowatt hour produced. Every country has a different one, depending on how much they supply to the grid using renewables. So it's kind of easy. The problem with like reporting or putting legislation in place for reporting on scope three, well, you can do it. You can say like legally you have to report on your scope three emissions. Mm -hmm. It's it's the auditing of that. It, it's so complicated. It's not necessarily complicated because I don't want to pe put people off. Like you can go on my course and I give you lots of simple ways of measuring your scope three. But there are lots of different approaches, especially to supply chain. You can use spend based models. You can go and survey your whole supply chain which nobody's going to do in year one and ask them what their emissions are that's not necessarily more accurate because what if 10 companies tell you what their emissions are are you going to audit how they measured those emissions and part of that will be their supply chain emissions yeah and so how did they calculate that and are you going to go all the way down the supply chain for forever like you're going to blow your mind so yes you can sort of legislate say you have to report on it what's much more difficult slash possibly infeasible is you know standardizing you know how those things are measured i'm not i'm, I'm hesitating because it's not that you can't do it and i'm sure that there will be movements towards doing it but we cannot spend the next 10 years farting about with just making really really complicated models and measurement tools and legislation and then trying to make that global because this is a a global thing like so the uk can you know legislate it and like look part of like the problem with even even reporting at a country level right yeah. countries don't report in a kind of scope one two three 
way, right? So the UK, I'll give you an example. Like, so the UK has a pretty good carbon emissions on a per head basis, right? We look at the US, I think it's like, I don't know, 12 to 18 tonnes per head. And the UK is sort of seven to eight. You see sort of different numbers. You go, oh, that's good. Like we're way better. Um, and actually you then go and look at China and India who like have quite big emissions, but they've got very low emissions per head, India in particular, like very low emissions per head. And that's like really important. But, mm -hmm. but one of the reasons that the UK's emissions are so low on a per head basis is partly because we've decimated our manufacturing base over the last 50 years right we that, that's our kind of uk emissions but we but we import so much um from these other other countries we've just pushed our manufacturing emissions over there so the whole legislation bit is just really complicated for businesses it's really complicated for for for, for countries personally because i'm operating mostly i guess in the sme space and 99 percent of businesses in the uk are smes we just need simple ways of, of getting moving quickly and the, the reason that I don't necessarily think we need legislation, and this is what I think is different to 10 years ago, is that there's a massive like win-win for businesses. So at the moment, the narrative is quite, you know, if you look at the media particularly, it's kind of like, it's on government. It's like angry people getting angry at government. And the narrative is about like, what can government do? Or, or what can individuals do? If you look at what you're asking individuals to do, you're asking them to go, right, well, you need to cut down on red meat, you need to fly less, you need to buy an electric vehicle, you need to drive less, you need to cycle to work. Um, and you probably need to think about insulating your house and maybe spending thousands of pounds on a boiler. Now, the benefit to you do, that's got a lot of cost and time and effort. And the benefit to you doing that is that like our species might survive in a hundred years. Now that seems like a pretty good like motivator, but it's not right because it, it, our brains don't work like that. Yeah. Like that's not a threat. Our brains are quite primitive, and like we we we're geared up to deal with dealing with lions like jumping out at us. Like, so I think like we could probably admit that if there was a meteorite crashing to Earth in the next year, we'd probably mobilize much more quickly than we are right now because that's more like a lion. Like that's and, quite and a, COVID. A threat. COVID is a perfect example of that. COVID is a great example of that. You know, and that's where messaging to the public, hands, face, space. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, kind of works because there's a natural threat and people are actually dying and the hospitals are, are some, you know, mm -hmm. so it does work. But there was a, a leaked report from you know developed for the UK government recently by some behavioural scientists that basically went, look, hands, face, face, and stuff can work, but really it's unlikely to drive like mass change with climate change because mm -hmm. there, whilst there are lots of lovely individual people humans are you know basically kind of selfish and we just won't move. but for good reasons you know we're trying to you know people are living in poverty they're they're trying to give a better life to their kids and 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 yes okay obviously we need a planet for that to be the case but but people just don't don't you know don't think in those terms yeah. so that's a problem but actually and businesses are quite selfish too obviously there's some nice businesses um lots of nice businesses but but if when you're talking at scale you know businesses are also quite selfish but there's a win-win for businesses. So if businesses, um, you know, have a path to net zero, um, you know, operate as a sort of purpose, you know, value-driven, purpose-driven business, path to net zero, you know, develop more sustainable products and services for their clients, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, there's so many benefits. I mean, we see it anecdotally and we're starting to measure it in terms of people choosing to come to work for MSQ or choosing to stay to work. We have staff schemes, cycle to work scheme, electric vehicle lease hire schemes, staff offsetting schemes, like all these things that we can do as a business that don't really cost that much money. Um, but they have a real benefit. They do have a benefit to the, the business. It's easier to hire. We can retain great talent. And as we, as we want to attract a younger and younger demographic into the workforce, that has even you know more benefits. Our clients are all doing the same. We're in the supply chain for our clients. So they want you know suppliers with a path to net zero. So it's easier with pitching and winning work off yeah. the back of our sustainability work as a digital agency, we're looking at how we build lower carbon digital solutions because the internet has a larger carbon footprint than the airline industry. So we need to, we're talking about those to our clients. Oh, I didn't, I didn't some, know it was that. It's huge, yeah, and it's rising very, very quickly, whereas the airline industry is in decline. It's massive. So, you know, we're leading the charge on that, and that can be a real value add to us in a competitive market so benefits with our clients benefits to our staff and and there's reports coming you know, there's a recent report from accenture showing that the, the companies this is obviously skewed towards larger larger businesses who are, are trending upwards on their sustainability metrics now that's broader than just environmental sustainability that's you know diversity inclusion ethics social good but they're all fairly linked um you know those that are trending up on those metrics are also trending up at a similar amount on their EBITDA, on their on their underlying profitability, mm-hmm. um, companies that are B Corp certified are growing something like twenty eight times faster than you know average GDP yeah. growth. There's all sorts of now. So when there's a win win, when there's a cost, but there's also a benefit, companies mm-hmm. will go at this. And I'm really, really seeing this. And this is where I'm very positive, both both on the company's ability to innovate because there's huge amounts of money involved if you can produce an incredibly efficient electric you know heating cooling system um or you know incredibly you know be involved in smart buildings or you know whatever it is you do there's huge benefits um but also you know businesses employ a very large population of the planet and there's things that we can by behaving like this and I, i work you know big part of what I do with MSQ is looking at these spheres of influence. And it's there's three big spheres of influence. There's, the, there's our clients that I've mentioned, like how can we kind of have lower carbon digital mm-hmm. service offerings for them? There's other companies, SMEs, so our sector and beyond. So that's the future learn course. How, how can we help our clients? How can we help other companies? And then the third big sphere of influence is our staff. And as I say, there's loads of cool stuff we can do there, and we're just getting started. We, we've got staff renewable energy schemes, and we've got electric vehicle lease hire, you know, salary sacrifice schemes can save you 40% off the monthly cost of an electric vehicle, thanks to sort of UK tax law that's come in. We've had the cycle to work scheme for years. But I think going forward, there'll be more and more things like, you know, can, can businesses also help subsidize and promote and encourage? people to move away from gas boilers you know we're, we're perhaps not there yet but the technology will evolve you know there's grants coming and mm. then businesses can do more and 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 so and that's where i think the narrative has to shift the, the, you know the media like kind of loves to like look at people gluing themselves to motorways who are angry about the government so the narrative goes back to like people angry with government government needs to fix it government can do a lot because they can put legislation in place to mobilize businesses like tax brace for electric yeah. vehicles um you know i think we need the equivalent of the r d tax credits for you know environmental stuff i think i think certain types of offsetting should be 
could be tax free. Like there's definitely more stuff that we can do. And that's our focus for our Beamer cop workshops. So I've gone off on a bit of a rant there. No, 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 it's fine. I think yeah. there was a question in there, but yeah, it was, no, you're, it was you're right. reporting, but it's it, the, the key bit is not legislating. Like you, legislating will get you so far, but we have to move really quickly. And the way you tend to move quickly in, in business, if you can find a win-win, that's, that's, that's great. And that's why I'm excited. Cause I think more than ever now, there are win-wins for businesses you know going at this really really quickly um, and i guess that's kind of what tech zero and like that's kind of how we met through this like tech nation tech zero network and then in a sense it's an opposite to legislation and that you opt in and you want to do it do you think that's a way more effective way of getting people on board with doing um kind of on the path to net zero rather than kind of forcing their hand through legislation but i, but I absolutely think it is you know to get there quickly, we need to move quickly. So if, if we can make the narrative about how beneficial this is for your business, and I think that's getting out there, right? I think that a lot of CEOs and C-suites and exec teams are realizing this. And, you know, as I say, there's, you know, Accenture reports are one example, but, you know, pick any major consultancy, McKinsey, PwC, go in and Google it. There's mountains of information out there about how important it is to put sustainability. It's not corp It's not a CSR. It's not a page on your website about what the good stuff that you do now, right? I report very directly up into the MSQ board. It's 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 absolutely front and center um, alongside, you know, sustainability more broadly, like diversity and inclusion, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, this is how we need to operate as a business if we want to attract the best possible people as well as it being you know the right the right thing to do so i think it's it's getting the message out there that these that there are these huge win-wins and then where we need legislation is i think more like around you know tax laws and and, yeah. and, and taxation to, to sort of drive the right um, behavior for individuals like grants for boilers and all that sort of stuff but yeah but also um for environmental sustainability you know as i say that you know something like r d tax credits which have been around for a long time to encourage businesses to you know research and innovate and you know develop new technologies and that benefits us all and drives growth in the uk economy so we have r d tax credits um you know i think we need something broad and general like that to encourage mm -hmm. businesses to do more in terms of you know their sustainability uh, activities so yeah. And do you do you think it's possible for every company to to achieve net zero? Well, I think first of all, uh, like yeah, I mean absolutely. First of all, we've got to make sure we've got a clear definition of net zero, and and I think that's still coming. I mean, that's part of the problem like, is that, that we don't necessarily. Yeah. Um, the best I've got is, I mean, and just you know, I'm not for people who maybe are thinking actually i don't know the difference between net yeah. zero and carbon neutral or carbon neutrality mm -hmm. um just you know so so carbon neutral um as you expect is if you've measured your carbon footprint and you've worked out what that is and then you've done some offsetting um verified offsetting that's usually actually it's usually not tree planting it's usually protecting deforestation in the first place or investment in renewable energy projects and there are all sorts of schemes you can support with debatable impact like we, we can come back to that and so you you offset now the the other challenge with carbon neutrality is that you can historically because there are official certifications you can get one called pass 2060 you can certify for carbon neutrality across just scope one and scope two so and when i was talking about those definitions so you can be you, someone can be carbon neutral unless you lift the hood and go well is that for scope one two and three or, or just one and two like you have to be careful so that 
muddies the water there. But basically, carbon neutrality is we know what our footprint is, we've measured it, and then we're, we're offsetting. And then you've got things like carbon negative, where you're just offsetting more than you've right. measured. Net zero is confusing because it sounds the same. And from a net position, it is because we're not saying zero emissions, right? We're saying net zero emissions. So if you think about it, it's like, oh, well, isn't that, is that the same as carbon neutrality? It, it's not. Fundamentally, it's not. Like we offsetting is not a scalable solution. We cannot offset our way out of this. We have to reduce the emissions significantly. So net zero requires a significant reduction in emissions. And that's a bit of a woolly term, but most would agree it's probably yeah. in line with sort of science-based targets, um, uh, which I won't kind of get into necessarily, but it's, it's, it's a very significant reduction, re reducing as much as possible and then offsetting just the small amount that's left. Um, yeah we still need some better definitions of what we mean by as much as possible and making sure everybody meet, agrees that that means in line with science-based targets and what type of offsetting we're going to allow for that last bit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very good question. <laughs> I think we just the first thing to do is call out, first of all, before we're going to work out whether we can achieve it, we need to make sure everybody understands what it is. Yeah. Um, beyond that, like, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it, it you know, it really it depends from company to company like for some companies for sure it's it's much more difficult if they've got very very complicated manufacturing you know and they're making something very specifically out of a very specific metal or something that's very difficult to to do you know anything else with now again it depends on this term net zero like it it may be that um you know they have to reduce elsewhere for for you know, for for service for professional service companies like ourselves, it's just like right. Well, we don't have electric vehicles. We'll get rid of gas. We don't need gas. Most offices don't have gas. We'll switch our other offices onto renewable energy, which mm -hmm. zeroes your emissions on on a market based measurement because we're we're buying it all from you know renewable sources. Mm -hmm. And then we pick off our supply chain. You know, post COVID, well, you know, for us professional services, we that's okay we can reduce commuting business travel has gone down anyway and the longer term thing we just need to start to pick through our supply chain and as long as they're all doing the things that i've just mentioned like we'll, we'll probably get there um for those very kind of complex areas i think um and again i touch on this in the course so I, I won't go into it too much but there's offsetting and there's offsetting right so offsetting let's just touch on that for a second it gets a bad rap in the um Look, some of it, and we do a lot of this, and it's not that it's a bad thing to do. It's a really good thing to do, really good thing to do. We use a, a offsetting partner called Ecology, and they're wonderful, um, but their projects can be around about the sort of four pounds per tonne. And they're, they're, they're verified, as I said, VCS gold standard are the two most common ones. But, you know, for example, protecting forests, well, that sounds great, but they're, they're debatable in the fact that some of the modeling where they've like extrapolated how much forest will be cut down and therefore if we protect this bit it we model that it would have been cut down so that counts now that's okay but if all that's happening is you've protected a little bit here and you've moved the problem 50 kilometers up the road in this forest like and it's high even though the even the verified schemes that like they can't necessarily be on site everywhere so you might have just moved the problem 50 kilometers up the road so you know you've got to be a little bit careful plus the forest that you protected might burn down next year ironically because of climate change right so yeah, i'm not i'm not saying i want to get the narrative right because sometimes people take a jump from that and go oh it's a waste of money it's not let's all do that because it puts billions in really good places 
At the other end of the spectrum, and I'm talking about sort of six or 700 pounds per tonne. So remember 400 pounds per tonne up to six or 700 pounds per tonne. And there's some brilliant stuff in the middle around about 100 tonnes. You get these more modern kind of direct air capture schemes where they're literally basically sucking carbon dioxide out of the air, doing it in an energy efficient way, because if you can't do it in an energy efficient way, the emissions for doing it cancel out the point of doing it, injecting that into rocks or mineralizing it and, and sinking it. Um, and so, you know, for example, Porsche a couple of weeks ago announced a, a, a sort of, I would call it almost net zero fuel. It's really, it's a carbon neutral fuel and it's a synthetic fuel that has exactly the same emissions out of the tailpipe of the car. So it's no better than normal fuel in that regard. But the way it's made, the synthetic fuel is not made from fossil fuel. It's made from essentially a process that uses direct air capture to pull CO2 out. So the process for creating the fuel is carbon negative because it, it's using direct air capture to create the fuel. And then the emissions that come out the back of the car just balance that out. Yeah. Now that's awesome. Like it's not a solution, but you know, if it helps in the short term with, you, mm. know, um, you know, internal combustion engines and the same thing could be said of the airline industry. Yeah. Um, not a big, it's not that I'm not a fan of offsetting your flights. You should do that, but really airlines should be using direct air capture to offset their flights but they won't because you know flying to spain per person probably does emit one ton and so they're okay to offset use you know the cheaper ones because they can afford two or three quid it's probably less than that when they buy at scale but they can't afford they're not going to spend 600 quid because what's that going to do to a 49 pound 99 ryanair flight to malaga do you know what i mean so yeah <laughs> yes, we can get there. And, 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 and I think the IPCC report quite rightly painted a grim picture because they're excluding carbon capture technologies. And they're right to do so because we haven't scaled them yet. But I'm kind of excited about the role that they can they can play. Yeah, yeah and we can definitely get there. Yeah, is there anything like that's a really cool bit of tech? Is there any more like innovative products that are on your radar that you think are going to be really, really useful in the future? Um, the one that always um springs to mind and, it, and it's you know it's not not something that's like i mean anybody who watched kind of the bill gates documentary will, will have seen this but there's a, a company called terra power um they bill themselves as a nuclear uh, nuclear innovation company and um and uh, essentially if you've seen the, the documentary notes what basically the designs for nuclear power stations have been the same since whenever we first started designing nuclear power stations um, and we all know from like the disasters in, in, in Japan, um, places like that, where essentially what happened there was that the, the tsunami crashed over, took out all the generators that were keeping everything cool. And when the cooling fails, these things are working at very high pressure, the pressure builds up and things explode. So these new designs from TerraPower operate using atmospheric pressure. So if, if things fail, the most catastrophic failure event will just mean that the plant stops producing electricity. Um, but also the design actually uses existing nuclear waste rather than you know creating more nuclear waste. And, and they, at the end of the documentary is kind of cool. It shows this big sweep of a, of a nuclear waste facility in Turkey and says there's enough nuclear waste here to power the United States for the next 150 years, which is incredible. Isn't it? That's just one little thing. And there'll be, you know, there'll be, there's millions of these little innovations that are coming along, um, which is, you know, why, yeah, why I'm optimistic. 
Yeah, very cool. Is that the one on Netflix? I think I've seen one of the Bill Gates documentaries. But I don't yeah, know. there's that series of four about the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation. Yeah, I don't on, think on I Sanitary yeah. and one on polio and one on, yeah. and, and what's the one on, on climate change? Okay. Uh, you know, there's that one. But like little things, I saw one the other day, the guy who developed the whitest paint, right? And it was the most reflective white paint ever developed. And the idea of it is that you paint it on the top of buildings. And it's so incredibly reflective. And, and this is, you know, it's well documented that part, part of the problem is like with the polar ice caps, you know, shrinking in, you've got less white reflective surface, which is reflecting heat away and that kind of creates a feedback loop. Um, and the idea is you, you paint this stuff on the top of buildings. And, and I forget, I don't have the numbers to hand, but the sort of equivalent kilowatt hours of cooling equivalent like is just, you know, phenomenal. So you've got, yeah, nuclear powered stuff, but people yeah. developing white paint. Um, I saw a new design for um, wind turbine, right, which was like a, a wall. So instead of for a city, so you make a wall that has these panels that just spin round. Oh, that's and cool. it look and it it looks really nice, but you yeah. just make all your walls out of stuff that just sort of like spin around and generate power. So there's some really, really cool stuff coming. Sometimes so. it's the simplest solutions as well that are the yeah. best. Paint, that's maybe cool. paint. White paint's going to save us I'm all. I'm definitely going to look into that. That sounds really yeah, cool. I'll that one. <laughs> Great. Cool. Well, I think that's probably about time. Um, but it's been yeah, amazing having you on, James. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and sharing all of your knowledge with us. It's been great. great. No, thank you. It's a pleasure. I hope there's some little nuggets in there. Um, if it was overwhelming, and I, I, I apologize if I sound like I'm flogging it, it's a free, free course. But um, <laughs> no, the future learning knows. course that I've got, yeah, yeah it, just, it just covers that terminology and the measurement and the offsetting and, and what you can do next and science-based targets. So I know I kind of, you know, that was a real whistle stop. And part of the reason I did what I've done is because it can be a bit overwhelming. And so my messaging is always not, you know, listen to me, you know, aren't we doing great stuff at MSQ? It's sort of the messaging is like, oh, we're doing great stuff at MSQ. It's not that hard. Here's how you can do it. And I'm keen to get that message across on things like this as well. So, you know, I don't know if we can, people can find the link or maybe. We yeah, can no, we'll, we'll definitely it share it. Um, we'll share it in, hopefully someone will share it in the comments now, but we can also great. share it on all over social as well. Um, so yeah, thank you so much and hopefully I'll see everyone in the next couple of weeks um, for our next PropTech Ramble. Cool. Thank you.